0: everyone and welcome to the like-minded podcast this is episode four of season two and I love the way that we're calling it season two as though it's a kind of Netflix thing but <laughs> I, my name is Bob Towers and I'm your co-host and with me our other co-host Caitlin Bradley. Caitlin welcome how are you?
1: Hello I am very well
0: thank you how are you? I'm Happy Valentine's good. Day. Yes, happy Valentine's Day to you! Because yes, to the listeners, we're actually recording this on a cold Valentine's Day, February the fourteenth, and you know there is snow and horrible stuff outside our window. Now, Caitlin, what is Valentine's Day like in uh, for you? Because I have this impression that every Valentine's Day you're crying into your drink, saying, "Why me?" Why me? Why can't I hold on to a man? Is is this right?
1: Oh, Bob, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it's all about self-love and self-care. It's 2021. That's, that's right. You don't have to that's have a
0: fella. Yes, is—that that is, that is true. And when you are a crazy cat lady, please remember me and how it all started back in the podcast days. <laughs>
1: Oh, wow. Thank you, Bob. You always make oh, me feel so welcome. so
0: special. Oh, you're most welcome. Now, yeah. the purpose of this podcast is to promote performing arts, um, particularly to promote collaborations between artists, uh, highlight some great work, and um, to meet talented people. And my God, that's what we're doing today because with us oh,
1: yeah.
0: on Zoom, firstly, yeah, I keep forgetting to, to say this, everyone, we haven't been live in this studio since Adam was a lad. So we've been on Zoom, <coughs> So please excuse us if we talk over each other, if it sounds like we're shouting to be heard, because I think that's what we do on, on Zoom a lot. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, let, let's crack on with the show because I'm made up today because we've got with us Ian Salmon, who's a, a writer, writer of plays, writer of books and, and whatever. Ian, welcome to the Like-Minded podcast.
2: Hello, thanks for having me on. I've, I've been listening to the show, absolutely love it. So I'm, I'm absolutely delighted, to be honest. Great, great podcast. Get the chance to actually talk about theatre, which is a nice substitute for not actually being able to do any of
0: it. It is, it is. And we're just in that weird thing where we talk about theatre instead of doing theatre now. So let, let's start with the kind of general one, Um, If you were to introduce yourself to uh, strangers and they say, Ian, what is it that you do and uh, how did you get involved in it? Please please tell us about your your background, how you got into theatre and writing.
2: Right, if I were introducing myself to strangers, um, I tend to introduce myself as a playwright nowadays.
0: Mm. Um,
2: I've spent a long time introducing myself as a writer, generically, which, which is what I basically think I am because... I have written books, I, I, I will be mm-hmm. writing another book. Um, I, I've got film scripts, I've done short films, but I tend to think of myself first and foremost as a playwright, um, because it's the work most people know. Um, on top of that, I also, I, I, I broadcast, I do podcasts with the Anfield Raps, so I'm a mm-hmm. regular contributor to that about Liverpool Football Club. Um, I've, done, I've been a regular contribution to Radio City Talk when that existed. Yeah. I, I've done music journalism, I've done football journalism, so I tend to think of myself as overall a writer. But I didn't yeah. start being a writer until I was 50 years old. I, really? Yeah, I, I intended to be a writer um, when I was in my teens. I, I wanted to write comics, I wanted to write Marvel. Um, I'm basically, you can't see it from where you are, but this side of the Mac that I'm talking into on the wall, I've got four pieces of artwork by Glenn Fabry, uh, Glenn Bakri's an artist who painted for DC and Vertigo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Responsible, responsible for all the covers for Hellblazer and notably Creature, which went on to be a TV show. And my, my one hit wonder as a comic writer was four pages painted by Glenn Fabry in a comic called Revolver in 1990. Wow. Um, so that, that was what I thought I'd do. There was a second story commissioned, but then it was commissioned for Crisis rather than Revolver and Crisis rounds of budgets and went out of business. So my comics career kind of stalled a little bit uh, <laughs> at that point. And, and you get to the point where you settle down. Well, we were already settled down. We are married by that point. But you start a family <laughs> and yeah. the job takes over. And I'd worked for HMB from 1986, uh, one of those jobs you get in a record shop where you're getting the job, you're taking the job until the band takes off. and oh, then yeah, yeah, yeah. The band doesn't take off, and <laughs> suddenly you've been there for 27 years. And oh, you've managed a few shops, and you've moved around Yorkshire and back to Liverpool. And I was managing our shop out in Speak, and it was that point where HMV started into its very well publicized financial difficulties. Yeah, yeah. And if you could read the profits and loss sheet, you could see the writing on the wall. So yeah, 2013. Yeah. I'm about to turn 50 in 2013, and I'm kind of aware that my job is online. Yeah. Um, and Jeanette, my wife, had always said to me, look, you can't be 60 and managing a record shop. It's just... It oh, just- why not? Why not, man? That
0: sounds <laughs> totally great to me.
2: That's... Um, I, I think probably now you can. Now I'm closer to 60. I think, yeah, I probably could, but yeah. me, not doing it is a lot less hassle than
0: doing it. Um, but, but were you influenced by all that culture? Because you know, growing up in the in, in the seventies and the eighties, um being influenced by the music scene in, in Merseyside at that time, the football scene—you know—that remember the N Magazine and, oh, yeah. and things like that—is—is is that what? Because I, I get the impression when they, I, I look at the, your stuff, it is all about that kind of working class culture. Yes. Um, pop music, football, yeah. all of that. How much has that influenced you then?
2: Oh, massively, absolutely massively. I was doing a, a podcast called The Fantastical the other day, which is where you pick your, your fantasy festival and you get to put five acts on. But we were talking about my upbringing and my, my road through, through work and also through culture. Um, 1980. So I go through the 70s and we talk about my first single. My, the first single I ever bought with my own money. Quite late. was King Rocker by Generation X from Pro. <laughs> so where most people talk about getting their first single from Woolies or somewhere like that, I bought it from Pro. Uh, you were ahead my, of the game. Well, I, I'm about three years behind everybody else who's vaguely interesting because the whole Eric scene <laughs> was like two, three years older than me. Um, so I never went to Eric's. I never went to Brady's. I was I was too young to get in. Um, but to be sixteen in summer of nineteen eighty, yeah, some of the the bunny men were coming through and war
0: and the teardrops and that. Yeah.
2: And Pete Burns was amazing.
0: working in Probe, yeah?
2: Yeah. And walking town, six foot two, a massive hair and black dog's contact lenses <laughs> to, to completely black out his eyes. So his eyes were pure black. And yeah. he was a, a terrifying he and horror inspiring thing to walk around. He was. So to all the generations, it was kind of like, look at that for you. To our generations, like, look at him.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. honest
2: to God. There's Pete Burns. So before Dead or, long before I Dead or Alive, a head single. Yeah, I've got Dead or Alive's first single. Um, it's been, I think, it's, it's, I think it's, it's been out now. It might be late like earlier. But I've got all the early Dead or Alive stuff when they sound like the Doors before they went all yeah. all dancey. Yeah. So yeah. knowing that that scene was in Liverpool, and it was basically one of the big things for me was, you know, I'm 16 exactly, and I've gone exactly comprehensive. And mm-hmm. just down the road is all sop and there are big rivals. Yeah. But Pete Wiley and Ian McCullough went to All Sop. So you know that these people who are making these records, which are changing your life musically, are two or three years older than you. Yeah.
0: They
2: come from the same place as you. Exactly. It makes mm-hmm. music available. I always thought musicals was beautiful. but I, I never believed theatre was available to me
0: mm-hmm. because.
2: I believe the theatre was South Liverpool. As pathetic as that sounds yeah, yeah, now, yeah. but if you're out in Fazakerley, theatre's Egbert, theatre's Sefton Park, yes. and, and theatre yeah. isn't Walt Main Street, Fazakerley. we don't do that. The, the South do theatre. So yeah. I'd go to the Everyman Bistro in the early eighties, mm. but be sat on, sat in the corner with a couple of mates, drinking a pint. And we went there because it looked cool to go yeah. there, rather than having the aspiration to get into the scene. So. wanted to be a comics writer never thought about theatre at all and i I grew up with this so this influence of the popular culture of liverpool the working class culture uh the music that was coming through Mm. the the, the music to me is a bigger influence than anything in theatre so um for me if you ask me which is what i'm influenced by i'm not influenced by shakespeare i'm influenced by bruce springsteen
0: Yes, because yeah. that's more to me. And, right and that kind of came that. together. That that came together, Ian, when you did things like girls can't play guitar, uh, the comeback yeah. special. Um, you know, all, all those things as well. Um, these two, uh, those two weeks as well, because it was it's kind of football meets theatre, or it's kind yeah. of uh, music meets theatre. Um, what was the kind of breakthrough moment, though? Because you, you, um, you know, you're working in HMV. You can see the the end of the road. Um, you wanting to do something else. You've got all this influence. What what happened then?
2: The breakthrough, breakthrough is uh, Meryl Streep and Amy Adams. So New Year's Eve, 2012, in um, 2013, and on 1050, which is a fairly big and fairly impressive birthday at the time, and now it looks like dead young to me again. Um, but we sat down and we managed to watch this film. And, oh, what's it called? Um, Julie and Julia. So it's, it's about a girl yeah, yeah. in New York post 9 11 who's suffering from the PTSD of experiencing being in Manhattan when 9 11 happens. And to reinvigorate her life, she decides she'd go and write a blog every day doing Julia Child's recipes. So you've got mm-hmm. this, these two stories going on. Amy Adams playing the girl whose name I can't remember Meryl Streep playing Julia Child who was like the, the mother or the godmother of uh, cooking writing for America. Mm-hmm. And she said, so she starts doing this blog and we looked at this film and I went, I went, I just sat in my head and went, I'm going to start doing a blog. I'm going to do a blog every day till I turn 50 because I just want to exercise the writing muscle. I want to write yeah. something. I don't know yeah, why yeah. I want yeah. to write something. So I sat down January the 1st and typed out the first blog, saying, I'm going to do this every single day until I turn 50, and published it. And I went, oh, um, yeah. Right. Now I have to do it, don't I?
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, now I have
2: to write every single day without exception because I've said I have, I'm going to, so I have to. And it was the best thing I ever did because I have no fear of a blank page because yeah. I had to write about something every day, no matter how inane, no matter how momentous. So, you know, we've got an election going on and Nick Clegg basically sells his soul for a little bit of power and puts the mm. Tories in charge for 10 years, yes. um, despite breaking the unconstitutional rule that the incumbent Prime Minister gets the first chance to actually uh, form a government in, in possibility of a home parliament. So that's in the past, I probably shouldn't... You yeah, No, but, that, but okay. this,
0: is, this is 2010, because when, when, when you said that, I thought, if I wrote a journal it would be Britain's most boring journal. Um, <laughs> it, uh, but it, it's Great. more than your life. It, it's kind of, um, it's more than what's going on in your life. It's observations about yes. what's going on in the world. And that's what's interesting.
2: Yeah, and that, and that it gives you an eye for what's, what's out there as well. So I started doing that within, um, within six days. Sabotage Times, which is a website run by James Brown, who used to run Loaded magazine, mm. uh, picked up an article that I'd written about Joe Cole leaving Liverpool. And for the next two and a half years, I wrote liberal articles for Sabotage Times. Plus, I wrote things about politics and I wrote about music. I wrote about a piece about Michael Head and the Red Elastic Band, uh, the EP, he just put our stories, Revisited. Michael Head being ex-Shack, ale, ex-Pale fans yes. yeah. a long-time hero. And a couple of days later, I get a message from a guy um, called Simon Mason, who's making, who's writing a book about Mick Head, and he wants to interview me. And that interview became... Um, me and Cy, well, Cy become one of my best mates in the last last five, six years. Um, but it, it led to me actually producing a concert film of a Head show at St. George's Hall. Oh. I had done nothing to do this, but I knew I would get a camera crew, and yeah. I sat in the editing process, and we we made the film, we premiered it at the Plaza in Crosby, and I produced the DVD and we sold the DVD out, and it was one off print, so the people who've got it have got it, people who haven't never will. Um, mm-hmm. But that was kind of my philosophy. Ten and fifty was to reinvent myself. So the blog was mm. part of me reinventing myself because I decided my entire life had been painfully shy. I'm always on the edge of conversations and generally quite quiet. Mm. This might sound ridiculous given how much I've spoken already. But <laughs> um, my my nature is to be quite quite unforthcoming. it always was. Well. So I decided I was going to reinvent myself. HMB is going to come to a close, and ten and fifty, I'm going to reinvent myself as. The most interesting person in the room somebody people will be interested in that i will be interesting to people which can sound arrogant but it yeah. was what i needed to make myself become somebody else in my 50s um not that i was unhappy with the person i was but i wanted to be something else i wanted to do something else um so i knew was saying 50 i was doing, the, doing the, the blog on a daily basis uh, my attitude begins to be Say yes to anything that looks like it's interesting. <laughs> uh, so, an advert in the echo for a writer's group. And the writer's group was made a side script initiative, and they were looking for short 10 minute pieces to put into a, a portmanteau piece that they were going to perform in pubs. So, mm-hmm. I sent a couple in and I started going to the writer's group. And before the actually competition for the 10 minute pieces was actually settled, they talked about the fact they were going to do a full-length play. Well, they are going to do a play competition. I thought, well, I can't write a play. I don't know anything about plays. So mm-hmm. I just probably mm-hmm. want to write something. And he said, we'll accept it. monologues over 45 minutes. I thought, well, I can do that. Yeah. I can definitely write a monologue over 45 minutes. I proved yeah. this constantly. I'm proving it again at the moment. So I wrote one called Venus and That was accepted into the competition. Um, met with the director. We expanded from the monologue into a piece with... Uh, the director on the card has said, well, you've got these three characters in the books the guy's writing because he, he's an author who wants to write great literature ends up writing Sub-Fifty Shades of Grey, what was referred to at the time as mummy porn. So it's it's that kind of acceptable <laughs> um, acceptable adult erotica forms of a better yeah, term. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's the stuff that like Caitlin reads, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> it's the stuff we all read.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Ian, carry on, just okay. ignore him. <laughs>
2: There was a, that that summer when that was massive. We went on holiday to Greece, and everybody around the pool was reading. It and you're like, that's that's actually that's quite weird behaviour, you know. You know
1: what? Yes. I have read yes. all three books, and they are brilliant. To be fair.
2: <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, st- I stood at a Springsteen gig in Manchester that year, um, and the girl in front of me was stood with a fella, and she was stood reading the book in the hours that you wait for the act to come on. She was reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Wow. So Obviously a phenomenon. Um so this writer's trapped in writing this sort of stuff and he hates it and he hates himself. And obviously it's a metaphor for being in a job you don't want to be in and sure. want to change your life. This is my first play, because all you ever do is write by yourself. Um so <laughs> Anna said we've got these three characters he talks about in the books, and we've got three characters in his life. How about we get three other actors on each play two characters? So it broke out into something more visual. Right. And that was the first thing I put on. And the thing about uh, Page Sage Festival It was in, the first thing you were told was you have to produce it yourself. And I was like, I don't know how to produce no. I don't know what a producer does. I haven't got a clue. And I worked out what a producer does is make things happen. So a producer is basically a manager, right, well, I've been managing a multi-million pound business, multi-million yeah. pound retail business. Yeah. For the like, last 15 years, obviously yeah. I can manage to put a play on.
1: Yeah. It,
2: it, it, this yeah. is easy. Um, so I did. And I self-produced quite a bit from there. Um, so joining that writers' group gave me that access to go, OK, well, I can do this and be in a room with actors. And as soon as you're in a room with actors, you don't want to do anything else.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe,
2: yeah. maybe be on stage with a guitar, um, which, which is always a great thing. But you can do that anyway. Um, I've well, done that again. Yeah. Well,
0: you're right, and there's no going back once you've kind of got into that,
2: yeah? No, because seeing an actor, seeing talented actors bring your words to life, Mm. in a way that is better than you ever expected it to be, is incredible. And then yeah. when you, when it, it is, it's, it's, it's definitely, the, there's a form of magic and the, the, mm. the beauty of theatre is what you're seeing is something that happens once and once yeah. only. It doesn't matter if the same thing happens again the next night. Yes, it's not the same thing, because when we come around to talk about Girls Don't Play Guitars, Girls Don't Play Guitars ran for 28 performances. I wow. saw twenty-six of
0: them. Wow.
2: Which might seem a little excessive to people, but I no, was but I know
0: what you're gonna say, that each of them was different. Each every single one was different.
2: Mm. In some way there would be a moment, it's like, I haven't seen you do that before. And they would invent something on the fly. Yeah. And, yeah. like, and you're doing it without a safety net. There's no retake.
0: Uh, that's the thing this, I was. This is your point, Caitlin, that, that you make time and time again about the value of live theatre and why yeah. we can't just go to watching stuff on, uh, re- pre-record stuff on, on telly. Um, yeah. Because it's different every night, it's exciting every night. Some nights you make a mistake, some nights you don't, some nights it, it goes one direction, some nights it goes another direction.
1: Yeah. And it's the same like with the audience, how how it's perceived by the audience and yeah. just the magic of it, it's just, like I love it. I, I always, like Bob says, I always say it all the time, we will get live theatre back. When people Definitely. are like, oh, a theatre's gonna open, they will be back. Yeah. It's as of when they will, but they will come back because you cannot recreate that. Nobody can.
2: No, no it's it's I have I've watched some of the um the online plays from the National Theatre, and I've not been satisfied by virtually mm-hmm. any of them at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched Everybody Loves Jamie online. That was that was that was just immense. That's fantastic. Great musical, fantastic, fantastic songs, which are always good stuff in musical. Uh, fantastic story and, and just su- such a human story that's, that's actually so relevant to some people wanting to break out of where they are. Um, but I saw Frankenstein with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and... Oh, yeah. oh, can't remember. And no, it, it, it just it didn't connect. It's obviously a great piece of work but I think you have to be in the room. Now, yeah. the version of Midsummer Night's Dream that the National Theatre did um, was incredible, it's the best version that I've ever seen, I, I've seen a few bit, I've not seen much Shakespeare but I might see a few versions of *Midsummer Night's Dream for some reason but it was unbelievable and the way they paid respect to the text but made us talk sound like human beings talking, which my, my problem with Shakespeare is always that everybody has to do the AI and Big Pen are absolutely spot on and get all the it. beings like no just talk like human beings yes. yeah. Doesn't it yeah. talk like human beings at the time don't 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 treat it as something perfect that has to be retained as it was. They played with it, and they were wonderful, and, and they played with the audience. And that's, as you say, about the audience reaction. We had, we had a nice while we well, were doing come back special at uh, Hope Street Theatre. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where Robbie, the main character, his his gift has been exposed to the world, and the papers are covering what he can do. I, he can talk to dead people, You can talk to the ghost of Elvis or the ghost yeah. of Elvis impersonator. And there's a moment where they're the going through the papers going, the, the, the Guardian says this, the male says this, the Starter says this. And one of the lads, go, the, the bad scaly villain goes, and the Sun says this. <laughs> and the Sun goes, why have so, you got the Sun? It's there, so I can have a pop at the Sun, obviously. Um, yeah. uh, to just point out that it's a scummy little rag and the nature of it. Um, mm. And one of the characters goes, why well, have you got something that I haven't got on before, phone? And the way Mikey directs it, each of the three characters on the couch with him went, we'll get it off your phone then, we'll get it off your phone then, we'll get it off your phone then. And somebody in the audience went, we'll get it off your phone then.
0: Yes. <laughs> and it's yeah, kind of yeah. like,
2: can you come back tomorrow? Yeah. 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 And then the, the actor playing Jay, the body, just stared into the audience. And we spoke to the girl who'd said it at the interval, and she knew for a fact he had stared straight into her eyes. <laughs> and she, he knew exactly where she was. He didn't. Yeah. He's got lights on him. He can't see the yeah, origin.
0: Of course, but that's her perception of it.
2: That's her perception. And you, you can't you can't create that. You can't fake that. Yeah. No. And that will not happen tomorrow and it will not happen again. Because if you did, it would be fake. So if you had someone in the audience shout it, it'd be fake. It'd be lame. So that yeah. moment of having that. That interactivity that you're not going to get anywhere else because you won't get it in the cinema. Yeah. You call it and one of the things about girls was when, when you walk into the room, um, this is how a little I know. When we were talking about the show beforehand, Kevin Fearing, the producer, the, the World Cost executive producer, said, We're gonna keep the eye up. I'm like, okay, what's the eye? It's like oh, it's the curtain, it's what you call the curtain, the closes at, at the beginning and the end, it's you know, for five regulations but we want people to see the set, we want people to walk in, and the set would be there and you would be there. You'd see it, you're in this room with all these televisions flowing out from this, this central large guitar. And the show started with, you know, we're playing and music, suddenly the lights go out, TV presenter walks on stage, goes, ah, it's five, right, and for the next two hours you're in the 1960s, and yeah. we don't let you out in the 1960s. Yeah. And it's totally enclosed, and it, it was striking every single night. First act opens with the TV presenter walking on, smiling, at everybody looking a bit after the eyes. By drive, the band kicking, and you don't stop moving from there. So I was in this writer's group, and they said we'll we'll take a monologue. And then the next thing was seeing an advert for the whole playwright playwright prize, and was we're looking for new comedy plays, um, mm-hmm. two act play, minimum running time of about hour twenty or something. Okay. I, thought, I, t- I don't know if I can write a full length play. I don't know if I can write comedy. But three weeks ago, I didn't know if I could write a monologue. So if I can do that, I can do this. So I sat down and basically went, so it's for the Royal course. I hope the playwright for the Royal course. I went, okay, what's funny? Um, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Um, what's funny? And I, I had this idea knocking around my head for years. A psychic who only sees shit ghosts. <laughs> it's all like psychics. See somebody oh, who's yeah. searching Mary Antoinette's court or they were the king or they were Harold the Harold getting the arrow in his eye or you know they, they walk behind Jesus and in Gethsemane or it's always they never see anybody who's crap, right? This like can only see crap ghosts. What's those crap ghosts? Well, okay, you can only see one crap ghost, what would that be? What would be funny? An Elvis impersonator. <laughs> yes. Because the
1: most
2: person on earth is Elvis. So an Elvis impersonator. Who thinks he's actually the king of rock and roll and it was kind of like okay well i've got that what what to do with it um, and it's kind of like i went i went for what i knew of the hero's journey from never having yeah. read the hero's yeah. journey i applied joseph campbell from my understanding of star wars basically um and it's kind of like okay well he's got to have the gift he's got to reject the gift he's got to accept mm-hmm. the gift and abuse the gift he has to mm-hmm. enter in the period of darkness he has to enter in the cave and be saved by the matriarch that's okay there's my story <laughs> So what the play is about is a young scally who smokes a lot of weed. You can see the ghost of Elvis. Mm. And he doesn't want to use the power because he thinks it's stupid and it's annoying and this guy's getting on his nerves. And then his power is exposed to somebody else and suddenly he's taken up and says, well, when, when where he becomes famous for something he doesn't want to be famous for and how he, then he rejects his power mm. and what comes back. So that's what the play is about. But that's yeah, not yeah. what the play is about. The play's about salvation. Yeah. The play is about being more than people perceive it to be, because it's kind of like you see these lads knocking around town in the north face, all balled yeah. up, smoking a bit weed. Everybody <laughs> thinks they're scum, and they're not they're just normal human beings. Yeah. And be- because they-, they call each other lad all the time, it doesn't mean they're <laughs> less than anybody else. And they've got creativity, and they've got hopes, and they've got dreams. Yeah. So I put that all together, and the point of the play becomes evidence towards the end.
0: Yes. Um, but well, and, that classic that classic Greek tragedy right there, yeah. and Aristotle could have wrote that 2,000 years ago, except uh, that he wouldn't have used an Elvis impersonated, but he, he'd have used something similar, yeah.
2: He'd have been really impressive if he had, though.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that would have topped his whole career. What, what was Aristotle's biggest one? Well, he, he predicted Elvis. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but but is it, it's that whole thing of there is only one story. Yeah. man wants something he can't get it, how's he going to get it? So you break it down, people are like, there are 13 stories, there's seven stories, there's six stories, there's one story. And and Star Wars is the Bible, is Spartacus, is anything you care to mention. So basically, it's that same thing. And and the thing is, I never studied. I've got no qualifications in theatre or drama. I've never studied until basically this year. Where, of course, I've got some masterclasses online. Mm. And, uh, and I've read some very good books. Stephen Jeffrey's book. My wife bought me the Peter Brook Empty Space book for Christmas, which is a fantastic book that's been out of print for about thirty years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a great read. It's just about the rough theatre, the immediate theatre. Um, I can't remember the other two theatres he talked about, but it's it's a brilliant read. Great thesis written in '68.
0: But, um, but that that's a your story is a great story as well as inspirational for others who are thinking about getting involved. Um, and yeah. had no, you know, you had no idea um 10 years ago of where you'd be now. And it's great as well that you've got involved with uh, you know, you started with going to a writer's group, and that's the beauty about those little writers groups that spring up everywhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: You you'll get the feedback that you need and it's one of those things with with any feedback, there'll be there'll be feedback that isn't appropriate to you and won't work for you. Yeah and there'll be feedback that's absolutely appropriate that you haven't yeah. thought of. It. And
1: yeah. it's
2: the ability to recognize which one is which. And because yeah. I've done so many training courses over the years and because my wife's a learning and development professional, mm-hmm. um, the one thing we've always said is, something we were told very early on in, in both our careers, training of any kind is like a buffet. Because you go to a buffet, you don't go, I'm going to put everything on my plate. Yeah. Go through and pick the things that you want to eat. So any training just sit there with an open mind and go that works for me that yes. works for me yes. so i was watching the aaron sorkin master class and I, I love aaron Sorkin. you know a few good men is one of the most watchable films ever made i'm literally just finishing season seven of the west wing although he obviously he stopped after season four but dialogue wise he's he's just so sharp he makes people speak like people mm. and makes them sound cleverer than most people ever sound and it, it's, there's so much wit in it. Um, and one of the things he said was, um, he said, if you're writing, and this is, a, this is only his opinion, I agree with it. But it doesn't work very well. If you're writing intricate backstories for your characters, you're wasting your time, mm. because you don't need, he said, I know what happens on page one, I know what happens on page 180, and I know how we get to you. What happens before doesn't matter. What happens after doesn't matter just what is in there is what matters and if you need telling tell anyone's back story then you tell their backstory. and I was talking about this the other day uh, to my mate Paul Paul Fitzgerald uh, who's crucial in the Girls Don't Play Guitar story and my internet connection's just going on stable, so if I'm breaking up I'm sorry um, no, 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 no. and I was talking about the dad in those two weeks and I said okay Dave those two weeks what's he do for a job and he's like I don't know, I presume like he worked on the bins or something. He said, what does he do? He said, I haven't got a clip. I don't know what Dave does for a job because it doesn't matter. I know he was able to work for six months once because that's actually crucial to the experience in the plot. But yes. it doesn't matter what happened before. Now, actors, a lot of actors love that backstory and can make their own backstory and that's, yeah. that works for Yeah. So one yes. of the first things on Venus Rising was Ollie, who was playing the lead um, in the first production, asked me, like, okay, well, these two characters, why did they stay in touch after the union? Like no idea. Why does it matter? Well, they're so different So I made something up. It's kind of like well, I've just made that up. But I've just made all the rest up. Yes. So it doesn't matter because I've just made this up. It's not real, yeah. no, it's real. And, and that was Sorkin's way. So this is the studying I've done. So um, Comeback Special by Elvis and the Scallies uh, entered into the whole Playwriting prize and and this is where the rice group advice and not advice comes in the first I, I took the first 10 pages into it and there were only three people in that night and they absolutely loved the first 10 pages like they were like this works this is funny every single line's good gag and a couple of weeks later I took the next 10 pages and there were about 20 people in and 20 people ripped it apart and the three people who've read the first 10 pages were like, no, you don't understand what he's doing because you haven't read the first 10 pages. You're doing this in seclusion. And, and this this works. Um, and somebody said, well, this character doesn't sound like Elvis. I'm like, well, one, he isn't. He's the ghost in Elvis impersonator. Yeah. And so say it in Elvis's voice and it will sound like Elvis because that's how you sound like Elvis. Yeah. Because <laughs> what well, do you know about Elvis's speech patterns when he's off, off stage? You don't. You nope. call people man, you call people son, and that becomes Elvis. You get the inflection right, you after you can do it. It becomes Elvis. Yeah. So I was absolutely crushed because I was sending it off to the competition the next day, and it couldn't mm-hmm. be changed. And I thought, well, back myself, just back myself. Sent yeah. it off. It won the highly commended award. Wow. Um, and that that shows that opinions are great. Yeah. The always accurate so you don't necessarily have to take everybody's feedback as being gospel yeah Yeah. because even if you don't know what you're doing and I didn't know what I was doing you might know more about what you're doing than you think you
1: do oh I love that Ian that is just this is why we do this podcast because this could inspire people to write and I've said this from day one since we've done this I'm not a writer I, I grew up as an actor and that's what I do and a director but it's inspired me to actually write stories because you, I work in Asda as well, and you see people all the time. And you're like, if I explain this to people, like, like watching people, yeah. they wouldn't believe me. But it's characters, and it's like,
2: mm.
1: oh, I've got notebooks of everything of people I watch in Asda every day. That's
2: honestly, God, the, the best advice I can give to anybody, and I, I've given it to, to my own sons. Uh, my eldest my son qualified from Bangor with a 2 1 in English and creative writing. Wow. Get a job. In the real world. yeah, Because if you get a job in the real world, you're going to meet people that you never ever meet anywhere else. So if you literally go from studying to working in what you studied on, there's this whole society that you, you don't encounter. Um, and working in HMV, I was, to be honest, I was already very good at dialogue. I, I knew this because um, this is going to be the massive clunk of a name drop. Um, when I was going, to, when I was looking to write in comics, i was going to the Society of Strip Illustrators meetings in London. And I met some very big names, um, and I was I was fortunate enough to know Neil Gaiman a little bit for a short time around the beginning of his career. And I was communicating with him by letter, um, and I sent him some scripts. He's like, "Well, superhero stuff is so not really me." Uh, it's, it's a bit talking heads, but he said the dialogue is really, really good. You really get dialogue. So if Neil Gaiman tells you you get dialogue, accept the fact you get it. So I know I, I'll, I'll blow my own trumpet. That's my strength is dialogue. I can, yeah. make, people, yeah. I can make people talk to each other. Um, if I stick two people in a room together, I can make them talk to each other mm-hmm. and they, they will have a conversation. Um, so I have no idea where I was going there because I'm playing <laughs> instead. So, yeah, so working in the real world, you'll hear yes. people talk, and they don't talk the same as you, and you'll meet people you never met in life. My first job was when I was 16, I was a stock lad in QuickSafe, I was doing my A-levels, um, and I was reserved, bookish, um, a geek, before being a geek was fashionable. If, if Jarvis mm. Cocker had come along 20 years earlier, I'd have been <laughs> basically the same age as Jarvis Cocker, but I didn't get the benefits of Jarvis Cocker making geek chic, acceptable. I was just a geek, I was a nerd. Um, but I met people I would never have met. And one of the first people I met was a lad who was a renowned gang member, Fazakli. Exactly. I got along with him really well, because it was a good idea to get along with him really well. Yeah. Because apparently, <laughs> people he didn't like, he had been known to string them up by the feet from lampposts and swing them in front of passing cars. Oh God. Now, oh you God. can't invent that unless you've met these people. Yes, no. yeah. It's so, so true. It's, it's vital so you know from Aztec that you're yeah. meeting people you wouldn't meet anywhere else. So, and that your dialogue gets so much better from that because suddenly you, it doesn't even matter if you, you absolutely be because
0: different. it's real world, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ian, um, what, what does the future hold now? What's I, uh, you know, as we record this, we're in lockdown three, it's a bloody cold winter, you're in the, the winter of bootle, um. Yeah.
2: What what's what's next for, for Ian Salmon? Oh um well I've got a short list for the during the mill prize, so hopefully that's something that's with a play called um, brief a brief conversation about the inevitability of love, which is my favorite title. Well, it's my second favorite title, the new one's got an even better title. I do like a long title. <laughs> um but it's it's two people having a conversation about love. Um, yeah. that, that's that's it for an hour and that's it. Again, in terms of I like writing long scenes, this is one scene, there are no scenes, yeah. it just moves from the beginning to the end of the conversation. Um, and that goes to my theory that all I've ever wanted to do with theater is make theater for people who don't think that we go to the theater, yeah, yeah. So, comeback special was written in terms of here's a story with an arc about redemption, but it's not what you think, yeah, it's it's not what you think of as, as being theater. For people who think theater is in them because theater is Chekhov and theater is Shakespeare, mm-hmm. uh, th- this is theater because it's live, it's in front of you, you'd watch it on the TV. Yeah. So that was, that was the, the feeling behind those two weeks as well. Um, I, I come from a place where I'm not, I, I might have a natural aversion to high art because for me, you can take the entire works of Beethoven and Mozart and you can weigh weigh them against the guitar if at the beginning. They're pretty vacant. I know which one's better, and it's pretty vacant every single time. I have no interest in the classical. I want I want the rock and roll. I want I want I want that edge. There's edge in classical, but it just doesn't do anything for me. Um. So, so yeah. So what's 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 in the future? Well, that's that's in the competition. We find out where it is in March, which so shortlisted uh, girls don't play guitars will um, will come back at yes. some point. We have no idea when, (laughs) Uh, it it would have been on last August, Um, and I know there is interest in touring it, there's interest in London, Um, people have expressed interest in it, obviously expressing interest in it coming through with two different things and nothing concrete there at the moment, obviously, for for obvious lockdown-related measures, but I think it's, it's one of those where the story is so universal that it's not a Liverpool play, because the four girls, the live birds, um, leave Liverpool on page twenty, and they never ever come home. They just they go to Hamburg, and that's where life is.
0: Yeah. Um.
2: So that that something will happen with that again. Um, I, I that's that's one of the things where we have got things going on in the background that will influence it. But you know, it's one. And then um, I've got a script, a film script. Uh, I've had the idea of a long time ago. Uh, that's with the producer who was looking for uh, funding for it. Yeah. So that's what I was in the air. So I'm, I'm, I'm basically just getting as much work done as possible. I've got this new monolog the I'm of 75 minutes on, which is kind of about alternate realities and Ooh. the artistic imperative and love and... Um, Desperation, which it it might be the most miserable character I've ever written, Um, (laughs) and also the most loquacious, he's speaking in very formal language. I I knew where he would start. I had four possible starts, so I used all four possible starts, and it's kind of again drawn from within me, but it's it's somebody else. He's talking, because I love the long form I love because you can yeah, yeah, start yeah. and see where you go. And as you'll have noticed, my entire speech is about diversions and sidebars and going off track <laughs> and trying to find your way back. And it always has been. Yeah. I I don't have a linear mind. I never have had. I'm, I'm kind of like distracted by
0: shiny things. So my, my head will go off <laughs> oh all God, over <laughs> the place. But it'll come back. Well, I'll well, tell you yeah. what, Ian. We'll get you back in we'll get you back in summer or autumn or whatever when the world will be a different place and we'll see what what's yeah. happening in then but you know that's been such an interesting conversation and I, i'm i'm so glad that that you came on and you know you you oh, sparked um, spark things in our minds and and you've kind of ignited kind of um, Uh, interest to get back involved and to do more stuff so thank you very much you really appreciate you coming on thank you thank you right caitlin um it's time to to wrap up and i need to do the kind of housekeeping to say first of all thank you for andrew smith our producer today if you want to Give us a comment, give us a like, follow us on, uh, have a look at, and visit likemindedproductions.co.uk. And Caitlin, we always end by looking forward to what you're doing in the week ahead.
1: Oh, um, well, I'm excited for Pancake Tuesday.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah.
1: Gin on pancakes, it'll be on Tuesday.
0: Okay. Well, (laughs) I I look forward to um, post on social media of of the... um, (laughs) Of, of
1: I can't believe food. you called me a Tory the other day as well. Who, who, who Somebody you Somebody did. Because I posted like I had steak the other night. Oh, oh that was Andrew, Andrew that called me a Tory.
0: That was Andrew. Yeah. It Anything was, that stupid, nice, it was yeah. that stupid truffle pasta thing that you had.
1: Oh, it was duck. It was duck.
0: It's ducking pasta. That's Tory. Uh, i i'm with andrew on on this one everyone join us again for the next <laughs> episodes of like-minded productions and see you all again soon Take see you care. Later. Bye. Now.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.